Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Because Jesus rose, we are still blessed, even in times of trouble. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series Counterculture with this sermon entitled Blessed Are the Meek, which covers Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to do something new this morning. Uh, and Ishmael, if you will, go ahead and make your way out. Um, back at, at Vision Sunday, you heard me talk about rhythms of renewal, new ways in which we're going to trust the Lord um, to try some new things together when, when we're corporately together and uh, new rhythms of renewal even in our own private worship and our personal worship with the Lord. And so something we're going to begin doing is we're going to have the scripture that's going to be taught that particular Sunday read uh, by someone that's not a pastor, just a member of the church, to read the scriptures that we may sit in them and just listen to them. And then when Ishmael finish read, reading, uh, finishes reading here in just a moment, we're gonna pray a corporate prayer together. It's called a prayer of illumination. It's simply asking together corporately that the Lord would illuminate his scriptures into our, our minds, into our hearts, okay? So that's what we're about to do. Uh, Ishmael, if you will, read for us. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, brother. And so together now, let's read aloud together this prayer of illumination. Oh, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen and amen. So we're in the third week of a series that we're calling Counter Culture. And it's a series that uh, introduces us to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. That's recorded for us in Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7. What we're focusing on is the first 12 verses, as we just read, of that sermon that is commonly called the Beatitudes. 
the ways in which we would begin to understand this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is when Jesus stood up, or really, actually, he sat down, having gone uh, on this little hill, like we call it Sermon on the Mount, but in that culture in that day, they would call any um, a hill a mount. And so this little hill on the edge of the Sea of Galilee that mo most likely just had great acoustics coming off the water in such a way to where Jesus was able to preach and all who had gathered be able to hear him. And thousands most likely had gathered. But in these Beatitudes, he's speaking specifically to his disciples to say this is what it looks like to live in the way of the kingdom of God. Now I want you to remember a few weeks ago when we set up this series, I gave you this framework, and I want to bring your attention back to this. I gave you this framework of three rivers, if you will, rivers that flow in the world today metaphorically. Now, there's more than three rivers, but these are the main ones, and maybe we would think about it in the context of saying these are the main three rivers with lots of various tributaries to these three rivers. And the first river is simply this. It's the river. It's the current of the river of the way of the world. When we say the world, we mean the, the way of the world in which those who don't know God, who don't follow Jesus, this is how they, uh, the world would see life, would interpret life, would determine this is what life is about and how life is to be lived. These are the values that we should carry with us in this life, so on and so forth. And so that's the current of the, of the way of the world. That's the first river. The second river would be the current of the way of the church, the church at large, not just perimeter church, but the church holistically. And with this one, this one can be a little bit tricky because with the first one, we would be able to know if, you, if you've been in or around church, you, you may know enough to know, hey, that's not the river we want to be in is the river of the world. But the river of the church, yeah, we want to be in that one, right? And we would say, well, yes, we do, but we, we need to be in the current of the rhythm of the church in such a way that we're recognizing what's healthy about this and what's not healthy about this. Because we can, we're, church is made up of sinners. Church is led by sinners. And so we're not getting everything exactly right. And in fact, there's certain rhythms and currents of the way of the church that have actually been greatly influenced by the way of the world. Ways in which we've allowed things to seep into the river of the church that God did not intend to be there. And so we have to look very reflectively, very earnestly, very honestly, and look at the church and say, what are things that we're doing? What are things that we're valuing? What are practices and rhythms that are happening in this current of the church that really aren't healthy and aren't in line with the third river? And the third river is the current of the way of the kingdom of God. The way in which God very clearly defined, this is what it looks like to swim, if you will, with the current of God's kingdom. And, and as counterculture as the current of the church may be, the current of the kingdom is even more. There are things that if we allow ourselves to hold the mirror of the Beatitudes up to our hearts and we begin to honestly and earnestly assess ourselves, we would be able to say without hesitation, there are things that are a part of our culture, our value system, the way in which we operate and do life individually and corporately that I just have to honestly confess are not in the current of the kingdom of God. But the church is 
been okay with it. And so the Beatitudes are a cold splash of water to the face. It's Jesus' way at some level of saying, if you're going to follow me, then this is a wake-up call. This is what it looks like to follow in the way of the king, of King Jesus. I want to read to you this quote that uh, the book that we've been working together through, walking together through as a staff, and that I've recommended to you, I'd love for you to read it, uh, brought this up on Vision Sunday a few weeks back, is a book called Renewal is a Way of Life uh, by Richard Lovelace. It was written in 1985. You would read it, and you would think it was written yesterday. So very applicable to who we are and what we're going through in the church today. And one of the things that he says in this book is this quote right here. He says, the antithesis of worldly behavior and the cure for conformity to the world is set forth particularly in the upside down kingdom of the Sermon on the Mount. The lifestyle of the kingdom is not proud, but poor in spirit. Not self-confident, but meek and sensitive to conviction of sin. Not self-righteous, but repentant. Not praise-seeking, but God-obeying, even to the point of suffering persecution. Not vengeful, but forgiving. Not ostentatious, which you may be like me, needed to look up what that means. It means pretentious display designed to impress or attract notice. Putting something on display that is going to make people think well of you. And the example they used in the definition when I looked up this word was when you, when you pretentiously put a book on display on your shelf that you know you haven't read, nor will you finish. <laughs> and I was immediately called out. Immediately. Oh. oh, yeah, like I've never done that, right? So, but you're not trying to seek attention, put on display in such a way that it would make people think you're great. So it's not ostentatious or acquisitive. Stop. Got to look that word up. Remember, Alabama education here. So <laughs> what does that mean? It means this, overly interested in acquiring money or material things. <gasps> oh my goodness. Those two words just right there calling us out of how we tend to function. But that's not the way of the kingdom of God. So it's not ostentatious or inquisitive, but content in serving God. Not judgmental, but merciful. If these patterns can be nurtured in the church, they will affect the moral structure of the rest of humanity. That's a big statement. It's huge to say, okay, if, if we really long for the moral structure of humanity to be shifted, to be changed, then we have gone about it largely as the current of the church in all the wrong ways. Because this is how that happens. It's not the way that we think it happens. It's not through power. It's not through pressure. It's not through uh, religious or political uh, oversight. It's through God's people living out the Beatitudes in such a way that is so very countercultural, even unto the church. And what the Beatitudes are getting at. What the Beatitudes are getting at is they're getting at the fundamental question of humanity, the, the deep longing of the human heart, which is simply asking this question, how can I be happy? 
Where, where, where do I find happiness and how do I keep it? How do I remain happy? Because that word blessed, blessed, is a word that's really interesting in the original Greek language. And this is what it's getting at. It's a word that's getting at a gracious disposition that leads to flourishing. A gracious disposition that leads to flourishing. Not necessarily flourishing circumstantially, but flourishing inwardly. A gracious disposition that leads to flourishing. To push a little further on that, it's human flourishing amid suffering while waiting for God to bring his just reign on earth. Let me say that again. It's human flourishing amid suffering on this side of heaven, in this life, amid suffering while waiting for God to bring his just reign on this earth. So in other words, that word blessed is getting at the ability of humans to flourish the way that God designed us to flourish, and in so doing, we are happy. It's, it's a happiness that can only come from knowing the king, King Jesus, and walking in the way, or swimming in the current, if you will, of the river of his kingdom that is so very countercultural. Just a couple weeks ago, I got to spend a couple of hours just one-on-one uh, -on -one with Dr. Crawford Loritz. Our officers, our elders and deacons got to hear from him just in our last meeting together. And, and uh, Dr. Loritz has just become a dear friend and mentor in my life. And as we sat together and ate lunch together, we ended up talking some about the Beatitudes. And I just said, hey, when you've taught this in the past, because I know you have, how have you defined blessed? How have you tried to help the people of God attached to that word. And he said, well, this is how I would explain it. He said, I call it soul-enriching happiness. Soul-enriching happiness that is released for us to experience by our surrender to the way of the king. In other words, he wanted to say, this doesn't just happen because you follow Christ. This is a choice. This is a daily surrender to say, what I naturally want to do is I want to be about the way of the world, and even I want to embrace some of the unhealthy ways of the church, but what I need you, Holy Spirit, to do in me is I need you to empower me, and I wanna to surrender to you in such a way that that very overwhelming countercultural rhythm of the kingdom of God is flowing out of me so that what's true and what Jesus lays out of the Beatitudes is true of me, and that I am truly happy in you as you've made life to be. Also, one more thought on this. The Beatitudes are not some, some uh, code of ethics to be understood apart from discipleship under Christ. There are many in, in history who try to do this, Gandhi and others who have said, yes, Beatitudes are great, but they have said you can live this apart from Christ. And Jesus and the New Testament and the writers of the New Testament, all of scripture would say, absolutely not. This is only possible attached to the head of the church, Jesus himself. This is only possible through him and his power. And it is uniquely uniquely a part of what it means to be a disciple of King Jesus as we walk in his kingdom. So the last two weeks, we covered uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Then we covered blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This week, the intention when I wrote this sermon was to hit two of the Beatitudes this week. Well, let me tell you how that went in the nine o'clock. We got through one. Okay, so, so now it, it was gonna be blessed are the meek, for they shall inher- inherit the earth, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So the good news for me is I've already written half of my sermon for next week, <laughs> or maybe all of it, depending on if I try to hit one or two next week. But well, this morning, we're gonna focus on meekness. Blessed are the meek. What is meekness? Well, first of all, we have to remember or notice or learn for the first time that Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture here. He's quoting Psalm 37, 11, that says this, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you've heard us talk a lot recently in the last couple of years about peace. And what is biblical peace? As we look at those original words, the Hebrew word shalom, which is that word here in Psalm 37, and the Greek word arene. And those are words that are speaking to not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness, completedness, fullness. And so what, what the original language here from King David in Psalm 37, through the power of the Holy Spirit in him, is that the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance Shalom, in the fullness of all that God has for us. In other words, does that sound familiar? Flourishing. They will delight themselves in the flourishing that only God can give, and it comes from being meek. Meek. Another way to read it is just simply to say, happy are those who are meek, for they will flourish. So what is meekness? As you begin to do word studies on this word, I tell you, it's a little bit, sometimes it can feel like in my preparation, a little bit like lassoing the air. How do we define this word? How do we really give clarity to it? Most of us probably think immediately meekness is humility, which is certainly is that, but it's kind of like that word shalom, where shalom, we immediately think, okay, we translate it peace, so it just means the absence of conflict. Well, yes, it certainly does mean that, but it's so much more than that. It's a, it's a thick, rich word. Meek is the same way. So some of the ways in which we can begin to wrap our mind around meekness is this. It means poor. It's really closely tied to the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Meekness includes that, that there's poverty of spirit. It might mean that God calls you into poverty materially, um, circumstantially, experientially, but it certainly means for every believer and follower of Jesus that it's absolutely poverty of spirit, an increasing daily reminder of how poor I am apart from Christ, that only in Jesus can you truly be rich not monetarily, but flourishing as God intended it to be, only in him. And so the only way that you flourish as a human being is you become poor, poor in spirit. It certainly means humility, that the posture, the disposition of who we are is that of humility. It means lowly. Lowly by choice, 
Maybe not, again, maybe not circumstantially, but a lowly posture, a lowly presence, a lowly disposition. It can even mean afflicted. That those who are meek, they're afflicted. We as a people of God, this is hard for us. This is really hard for us in America. But we as a people of God should expect that to follow King Jesus in the current of the kingdom, in the way of the kingdom, will come with affliction. It will. And if it doesn't, then we have some questions to ask. Why? Why is there not affliction if I'm following in the way of the kingdom that is so very counterculture to the way of the world? And even at some level, the way of the mainstream church. There'll be, there'll be affliction with it. There's a, one way to think about meekness holistically is it's a mildness of disposition. And even it's a gentleness of spirit. I wanna to read to you another lengthy quote that I think is worth it. It comes from the writers, the authors of what's known as the Blue Letter Bible Commentary and Dictionary. As they seek to define meekness, this is what they say. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. So I'm just gonna pause right there and say this. It's not just horizontal posture, it's vertical posture. That our posture with God is actually one of not resisting him and what he's brought into our lives. Not disputing with him what he's brought into our lives. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who wholly rely on God rather than on their own strength to defend against injustice. Major theme in the Old Testament, God's people either being the recipients of injustice or being the ones who execute injustice in such a way that God would say, if you're receiving injustice, do so with meekness. Rely on me to bring about the justice that you seek. It's interesting that coming off this beatitude, we won't get to it today, that Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness in that root word is getting at both righteousness and justice. He says thus, or these authors say, thus meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict. That he is using them to purify his elect and that he will deliver his elect in his time. You me tell you who's getting this right now? What this makes perfect sense to right now? The Ukrainian church. Absolutely, they are, I am seeing some things that are coming out of the Ukrainian church that I pray, oh God, make us like that. Make us like them. Listen to the language of the president of the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. Just a couple of days ago, he said this, and he's speaking as if, if Russia does advance, and if they do take over, here's what I would say, this is what he said. The church will go underground, we had that under the Soviet Union. The church did not forget what it means to be persecuted. We will rearrange, we will reorganize, and we will do what we always do, preach the gospel. It's a meek people. You don't read that and go, oh, that's meekness. We don't know what meekness is. 
But that's meekness. Listen to this again. Meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries that those evil people inflict because he's using them to purify his elect and that he will deliver his elect, he will deliver his people in his time. They get it. The church in Ukraine right now, there's a meek people. Further, they say this, gentleness or meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person, the meek person, the gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of human will. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of human will. I brought this up on Vision Sunday a few weeks back. I wanna bring it up again. I want us to keep coming back to what does it look like to walk in the power of the Spirit? For God to do what only he can do in and through us because we don't stand a chance of being meek in our own power. If the, if the, uh, if the way in which we approach meekness is to try to be meek by gritting our teeth, bare knuckling it, and just saying, I need to be meek, therefore I will, we will not be meek. It has to be the power of the Spirit through us. And so one of the ways that we defined what does it look like to walk in the Spirit is this. When we are being led by the Spirit, walking in Him, empowered by Him, we go places we normally wouldn't go. We do things we normally wouldn't do. We say things we normally wouldn't say. And we risk things we normally wouldn't risk. And after last week with Pastor Sam, I added one more to that. We pray things we normally wouldn't pray. Crazy prayers. And this week, I'm gonna, ask, I'm gonna add one more, to, one more thing to it. We carry with us a disposition that we normally wouldn't carry with us. A disposition of meekness. Now, I'm gonna get on my soapbox one more time and it probably won't be the last. If we were to sit down and if God, which he's not, but if he were to sit down with us and at a table put a written test in front of us, grading us on meekness over the last two years, we would fail miserably as the people of God. Miserably. If meekness is getting at the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. If these guys get it right, if the blue letter Bible commentary and dictionary guys get it right and that's accurate, we have been terrible at this. We have not been spirit-led because we have been an incredibly self-protective, self-defensive, self-interested, and self-assertive people in the church. We have been. And we don't want to hear it, and we don't want to be called out on it, but we have been. And if there's going to be renewal in the church of God, it has to start with repentance. It has to. We have to be a people that recognize that a gentle person, a meek person, is not interested in self at all. And this is where the trouble comes in. This is the struggle that we have. Is we have a mindset, understandably so, and rightfully so, 
that meekness means weakness. That if I'm meek and if there is no self-assertiveness and no self-defensiveness and so no self-interest, then I'm just a weak pushover. Right? So, so much so that when I have preached at some points in the past over these last two years about being a people of gentleness, of kindness, of patience, right? I suddenly have no backbone as a leader. Spineless meekness is not spinelessness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is everything that Jesus is. Because how is Jesus described? Look at the words of, of the scriptures as it pertains to describing Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, familiar verse. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Same word, same Greek word as in the Beatitudes for meekness. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the only place in scripture where Jesus describes himself in terms of his disposition. I mean, we, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the light of the world. He's talking about what he exudes and who he is in that sense. But the only time he says, well, if you come unto me, here's how you're going to experience me. And he says, it's meek. It's gentle and it's lowly. And with that, you will find rest. And in a world that the current of the river of the world is constantly saying, this will give you rest and this will give you happiness and this is how you need to go about life, Jesus says, and none of that leads to where you think it does. I lead to what you most long for. And it's in the disposition of meekness. When he's riding in uh, on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, He's riding in to accomplish his mission and the people have gathered around him on that Sunday thinking that he's showing up to overthrow Rome and sit on a human throne. And they start singing his praises and this is what is said about him from Matthew 21.5. Say to the, to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming for you. Humble, meek, same word, and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is Jesus. If we resist meekness, we're resisting the nature of Jesus. If we think meekness is weakness, then we're resisting the very thing that our Savior is. It's even the precondition, if you will, for salvation. Look at what Psalm 149.4 says. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble, same word. He adorns, adorns the meek with salvation. These are the people that in our meekness, we realize this is the very thing, recognizing my spiritual poverty, my neediness that leads to salvation. But what about Jesus, the other sides that we saw to him? I like to follow the Jesus who ransacked the temple and threw out the money changers and threw over the tables. That's the Jesus I want to follow. And we go, yes, absolutely follow that Jesus because he's just as much that as he is meek. He is a warrior. And if you doubt that, just wait until he comes again. He's coming on a white horse and with a sword and blazing fire coming out of his eyes and mouth. And it will be terrifying. He is a warrior God, but the way of his kingdom now 
Until that day, it's a kingdom of servanthood. It's a kingdom of selflessness. It's a kingdom of gentleness and lowliness. It's a kingdom of not fighting to defend self, but to defend the kingdom. I want you to notice something about Jesus. Every single time he got righteously angry, every single time it was not to defend himself. Not once. When you see Jesus get righteously angry in the scriptures, it's always toward the religious elite who have taken the religiosity of the whole worship endeavor and made it about something that God never intended it to be. That's when Jesus gets angry. That's when the righteous anger of Jesus comes out. It's directed to those in the church, if you will. Not once do we ever see Jesus go warrior mode on non-believers. Not once. I wanna say that again. Not once do we see Jesus ever go warrior mode on non-believers. The only times he does that, and it's very few, he does it with the religious elite. Those who have created a current within the structure of church, as it were, that he never intended. And, he, and, and that's when we see that come out. The disposition of meekness is one that draws people into the gentle and lowly nature of our Savior to say there is something so unique about you. I have to know more. I have to know more. One more thought. Sorry. Jesus had all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of opportunities to defend himself, to self-assert himself, if, if you will. While he's being spit upon on the way to the cross, while he's being mocked, while he's being misunderstood and maligned, when he's getting nails into his hands and his feet, and while he's getting spears into his side, and while people are jeering at him, while he's fighting for breath and saying, if you really are the king of the Jews, if you really are God, then you would come down off that cross. And at no point, at no point does he defend himself. He has taken no interest in self and all interest in the mission of the kingdom of God. What would I have done? I would have put millions of angels around me and said, look what I can do. I would have come down off the cross and said, you said what now? <laughs> Watch this heel right here and heal myself in front of them and say, you don't know the power that I have, but he never does it. Why? Because it wasn't an interest of self. He was the epitome of meekness because what did he care about most? Not self, the kingdom of God. And if he had not been meek, if he had defended himself, if he was concerned with self-interest, he would have never gone to the cross and there would be no invitation for us to receive the only rest that he offers in the finished work of the cross. One of the ways in which we actually show Jesus most poignantly to the world around us is in our meekness, not in what we think is strength. 
Meekness in the kingdom of God is powerful. It is strength. So I want you to think about, I want you to take a few minutes here and I want you to think about who have you known in your life? Who have you known who is meek? For some of us, that might be hard. We might go, I don't know. For others of us, someone will come to mind right away. And interestingly for me, when I was chewing on this question during my preparation this week, and I was thinking about this question and praying about it, the very first name that came to mind, and I, I feel like I could have answered that question with a lot of different people in my life, but the very first person who came to mind was actually someone that I've never met. But I've talked to so many people who knew him, I felt as though I knew him. And he just recently went to be with the Lord. His name's Frank Barker. Frank was the founder, founding pastor and longtime pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in, in Birmingham, Alabama. And somehow over the years, even in all my years of ministry in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, just 45 minutes away from Birmingham, I never crossed paths with him. Even as close as he, he was Randy Pope's mentor and as close as I am to Randy and Randy is to Frank, somehow I never met Frank, but I've talked to enough people over the years that when I've asked questions about Frank, what's he like? The answer that seems to always come into view is that he was a meek man. Frank did not self-assert. He did not exude self-interest. He had lost to the best of his ability through the power of the Spirit in him, as broken as he is and as sinful as he is. He had lost all interest in self for the sake of the kingdom of God. There was nothing flashy about Frank. Based, uh, if you compared him to his contemporaries at the time, he was not a great preacher, and he would tell you that. I can remember my parents talking about the first time they went to hear uh, Reverend Barker preach, and they had heard so many great things about him, and they heard him preach, and they went, that's it? <laughs> okay. Because Frank was not concerned about those things. Frank was concerned about the kingdom of God and preaching the gospel and preaching the word. People would talk about when you approach Frank, a lot of times you'd have to ask him to speak up because he'd mumble under his breath. He was so unassuming. He was meek. So I want you to take just a couple of minutes. I said earlier, just a few minutes ago, I said, if there's going to be renewal in the church, renewal always starts with repentance. And so I want you to go before the Lord and you're not gonna have time to really get into it. And so I encourage you some, at other, some other point today or soon that you'd circle back with the Lord on this. But begin the process now. God, what do I need to confess to you? How do I need to confess to you my lack of meekness? And I just wanna repent right here before you, God. And I want you to change me. I want you to make me more like Jesus. So I want you to take just a few minutes and then Caleb will come and lead us in the table. Let's do that now. We knew coming into this little time here that it wouldn't be near enough, but I pray that you would have started something in our hearts that we would be eager to come back and re-engage with you with, uh, with you in, in very, very soon, even, even today. That you would open our eyes to see the ways in which we have neglected to be meek. But Father, may we not experience condemnation or guilt over that but may we see rather the invitation of the gentle and the lowly Jesus 
who said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And so may we, in recognizing our sin, run to the Savior. And would you give us the rest that only you can give, Jesus? Thank you for being the one who is meek. And thank you for making us more like you. We pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.